Hello and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we reach Minute 105, which begins with Ripley saying, You son of a bitch, and ends with Ripley about to place Jones in a cryopod. And once again, we are joined by Kansas City Art Institute instructor and curator of their film sofa series, Aaron Hammerbeck. Hi, Aaron. Hi. Thanks for spending the week with us. Oh, thank you. It's been so much fun. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, what you do at the Art Institute? Sure, sure. Basically, um, this class, we've had two sessions of it, and in, in it's a part of their continuing education program. Um, and the way I got the idea, they've had this Art Sofa series for a while now. And basically, it's this great um, opportunity that people can have where they go in and they, you know, they take a look at these great pieces of art. And it's kind of, you know, meant to relax the conversation so you know people that are maybe intimidated about going into museums and looking at art and you know really understanding like what what makes this really great art they can go into these classes and learn about their historical significance and you know and really kind of learn the language of talking about art so I thought we should do that with film I mean I think that you know, a lot of us probably go to see movies in the movie theater that we're comfortable with. And so a lot of people shy away from John Cassavetes films and, you know, the, these uh, uh, difficult films, you know, French. Uh, fr we started off with a, a class on the French New Wave. And, um, you know, we looked at Agnes Varda and uh, the, these kind of more esoteric films. Uh, we looked at La Pointe Court the yeah obviously like i put breathless in there because you can't do a french new wave film right. <laughs> or film class without breathless but uh it, it was meant to basically demystify um a lot of these difficult films the last uh film that we talked about was uh david lynch's uh, mulholland drive which i thought you know the the conversation on that film could just go on forever you know, all the different types but i mean i think a lot of people shy away from these kinds of movies because they're afraid of not you know I, I don't know having a relationship with them as much as you know the the hollywood blockbusters i think that we're living in a time right now where People prefer um, comfort and mm -hmm. sameness over difference and challenges. Yeah. And that's just kind of what has happened because corporations have started making movies. They're really, they're talking about rebooting all of the, you know, the Goonies now. And they're rebooting. God, these, please no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're rebooting films as opposed to taking a chance on weird films. Um, because they know they can get butts in seats if they've got the name on it. You know, if they've got the name of the Goonies, then people will go see it because they recognize it. Yeah. And, and so this class was really kind of just designed so that we could watch kind of strange films and also films, you know, made by um, filmmakers that don't get a whole lot of credit, you know, um, whatnot. So, you know, it's it's really kind of a chance for, you know, people to come in and, you know, they don't have to know anything about film they don't have to know the language of film you know the shots and camera angles and that type of thing well you know we learn about all of that and we learn about the historical significance of these films um and just talk about it that way and you know we take a look at weird fun right. films like Mulholland Drive and you know again. this is a good opportunity actually since we're talking about films that define a decade um 1979 which is the year that Alien came out and 1979 is a pretty great year for movies uh, it it might be, you know, it might be up there with 1939 and you know, maybe 1968. Um, 
But just I want to just read this list just really quickly about the movies that came out in 1979 and and think about listing this many movies from last year, for example. And would you have this kind of a roster? So here's what I've got. So Apocalypse Now, The Amityville Horror, The Muppet Movie, The Warriors, Moonraker, The Life of Brian, Star Trek The Motion Picture, The Brood, Kramer vs. Kramer, Rocky II, Manhattan, and Justice for All, All That Jazz, The Champ, 1941, Nosferatu the Vampire, The Jerk, The China Syndrome, Caligula, Being There, Breaking Away, The Black Stallion, The Black Hole, The In-Laws, Escape from Alcatraz, Agatha, Phantasm, Dracula, the John Badham version, When a Stranger Calls, Mad Max, Tess, The Great Santini, The Visitor, Time After Time, Concord, Airport 79, Wise Blood, Over the Edge, North Dallas 40, The Ten Drum, A Force of One, Meatballs, Stalker, Tarkovsky, uh, Prophecy, (laughs) Frankenheimer, Quadrophenia, Love at First Bite, Ten, and Murder by Decree. And there are other movies. That's a lot of fantastic movies for one year. Right. That's a lot of fantastic movies for one year. I don't. I mean, I don't know how many of those somebody listening recognized, but or and, and they're not all great. They're not all great movies. No, no, yeah. But I don't know. Could we come up with? That's that must have been close to twenty, thirty, forty, fifty. You know, seventy-five movies. Could we come up from seventy-five movies from last year that will probably linger in the imagination the way that that these did i kind of doubt it. that have this kind of rich variety uh, that well. too the variety is outrageous yeah. isn't it everything from caligula <laughs> to, to apocalypse jerk. now <laughs> to the jerk mitch am i crazy did you not mention halloween oh uh, was that 79 no that was yeah, i thought was that was 77 or i thought it was 70, or 78 maybe it was 78 yeah i think it was i think it was so bad now uh, um because i because it had been yeah I think it was right. out already wanna, before alien I'm going to look it up anyway. But anyway, um, yeah, it just kind of amazes me. It was really an extraordinary yep, year for movies. And it was the end of New American Cinema, frankly. I mean, I think Heaven's Gate would be the next year, right? Mm-hmm. 1980. And yeah. Kaboom. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. would be that. So Alien is in good company. That's for sure. I'm wondering, looking at this list, you're talking about this being the end of New American Cinema. How many of these films would you say aesthetically influentially in any way carried over into the 80s because i would looking at this it seems as though they are all specifically of that time and it wasn't long before hollywood moved on completely from this i mean you look at very literal star trek the motion picture well they turned around and made a completely different kind of star trek movie as fast as they could um well there there wasn't movie there weren't movies like the warriors in the 80s like they they were done in different ways they weren't done i don't know yeah Uh, maybe i'm not yeah i mean walter hill would continue to do his ensemble kind of action movies like the long riders and southern comfort and and so there's you kind of have to be a little i think a tourist when you look at at the warriors but uh and then there's some franchises obviously rocky and star trek and monty python and moonraker and well even rocky too Rocky two is way closer to Rocky than it is to Rocky three. Oh yeah, that's well, for Rocky three sure. is like full balls out eighties movie. Yeah, where Rocky yeah. two is is riding the line. I mean, it's still pretty much a Rocky. The the original Rocky just done again and with a different ending, uh, with some weird commercials that he does inside. No, I think but you're the, right. I mean, I think these these definitely feel like seventies movies, not eight not eighties movies. Yeah. Um, even though we're at the cusp of the decade, yeah, things would change. Corporate cinema would really evolve because they were looking for the formula right 
And that would take us what happens at what happens 10 years later, 1989. Mm -hmm. Right. And isn't that the magic year for Batman? Isn't that the year that when the corporations finally figured out how to really do it? Where everything had a fast food tie in and you had people buying tickets to a movie to see a trailer already, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, 89 was a big year for that. Yeah. Not a, not a horrible year for movies or anything like that, but it was the beginning of that era that we're still in. Yeah. Uh, Deeply in so much so that people don't know that it's even an era that they're in right now. So much so. It seems like the way it's always been. And, and alien continues on into that corporate era as well. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's all these other, all these movies and we've got a new Prometheus movie coming out, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. 2017, I think. Yeah. It's about a year from now. There'll be alien. It's called alien covenant. So maybe it is an alien movie more than a Prometheus movie. I don't know. That makes Let's sense. hope. I was Let's so hope. excited Let's for hope. Prometheus. I really was. Let's I went to the movie theaters. I'm so let down. I saw yeah. it on IMAX. Yeah. I was pretty stoked for it. I was too. Ridley Scott. They yeah. got our money. Yeah, they, they sure, sure, did. sure got did. all of our money, so it doesn't yeah, matter. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into 105. Um, that unresolved Zoom, as she says, you son of a bitch. And then the Zoom stops. And we hold on her, and I think it is one of two resolved zooms in the whole yeah. movie. So what what do we say in this means? Like what we've had the unresolved zooms. Like the one that I always think about is the one on the space jockey. Yeah. Like this is a very ominous unresolved zoom. It makes you feel very uncomfortable, and you know that trouble's afoot. Um, resolving the zoom, Mitch. What exactly are we saying by doing that? The movie's over. The movie's over. We're this is our girl. The emotional catharsis has happened. We've seen the ship blow up three times. Yep. And um and and we're we're safe now, you know? And what's really interesting following that is um there's this there's this little boom movement in profile mm-hmm. and along the top are these colored lights and it looks like a rainbow. Primary colors and it looks it's more color than we've seen in the entire film. And then the camera booms down away from that. The rainbow goes away. And then the music takes this slight minor turn, which cues us to, well, this is over, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds like ending music, but not quite like ending music. But it is over, right? Well, couldn't you say there, there's a minute here or a moment here where Ripley does something that also indicates a bit of a change. And, and it's like it correlates with the music pretty closely now you could easily had this movie end here like i guess if the studio would have had their way it would have uh this is pretty much right where they wanted to end it they didn't want to do all this business with the second ending uh, well it did, did the original script ended this way right but the ridley scott had to fight right. to keep it so we could have had this movie where we're beating the alien and the stromo's gone and we're on the ship and everything's gonna be fine and we could have dissolved into the credits but instead we do get this minor turn with the music and Scorny Weaver, in her performance, she seems a little bit trance-like for a moment there. She's relaxed. We've been kind of lulled into a trance as well with that slow boom. And then she kind of snaps out of her eyes open a little wider, and she kind of goes... And, you know, practically speaking, it's it's Ripley saying, okay, got to get about business. We still have to do some things and get in the cryopods and so on. But what's it telling us with the movie uh, as far as the storytelling here? I think we are getting moved into this next phase of the movie. And I also think there's, you know, if we want to reach back into our d- little dream discussion from yesterday, maybe we've entered in now. This is officially we're entering into the dream, the nightmare, the second ending nightmare that we talked about yesterday. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a good thought. Um, I do remember this is also the place where as she goes to get Jones, people started whispering, it's in the cat. It's yeah. in the cat. <laughs> so they knew something was up, right? Yeah. They, they knew something was happening. They thought the alien was in the cat? That's what, that's a lot of people thought somehow the alien was somehow in the cat. Oh, that's so interesting. I really do feel like Jones is uh, <laughs> in cahoots. <laughs> Didn't H.R. Giger say that they also made a egg and they put the egg in the shuttle? And there was a shot so. of an egg in the shuttle too, which was cut out. But they were already trying to stack the deck in a couple of different ways. Okay, so let's talk about that. Ripley sees the egg? I don't know. I think it was one of those unresolved. I think she was going to get into the pod, and then, and, we, were gonna, and then like, we were going to see the egg sitting over there like, on the ship. Track over to the egg yeah. and then go to black. As... Yeah, something like that. Hmm. That would have been interesting. Um, yeah, because I couldn't think. If she saw the egg, what would Isn't the ending be? Isn't that how be? 3 starts? Alien 3? The, there's something in their escape pod. It's yeah. the egg. No, you see the full-on like attack. Like they get a, oh, there's like, okay. it's quick, choppy, crazy cuts. And you, see, you hear whipping sounds like the tail of the facehugger. You see glass okay. breaking. I mean, you, I think you're supposed to think from the beginning that somebody got... Got killed. Got, yeah. Well, got facehugged. Yeah. Got implanted. implanted. Mm, I, okay. I don't remember that. Yeah, I just watched that movie. Not that but I don't know. I still it's, don't remember it's, it's it that well. The, yeah, I know. Yeah, forgets. Very it forgettable. It falls it away all the time. Yeah. So people knew something, and maybe because of Carrie already, because Carrie had been the false ending movie in 76. Even Halloween has the false ending because they look down and Michael's not there anymore and the music comes back up. So it was already starting to kind of happen um, with these horror movies with the extra tag. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of expecting something to be up. Well, plus we didn't get we didn't get the satisfaction of seeing the alien blow up aboard the Nostromo. So, I mean, you know, something this important, the, you know, the, the entire title of the film is alien. So like we, it would not make a whole lot of sense visually. And, you know, in terms of cinema to have the ship blow up and not have the satisfaction of seeing. Yeah. And isn't that fascinating because it says something just about how we are trained to experience a motion picture yes, yes. and the fact that the studio heads, would actually say the movie's over. Mm -hmm. You would think their instincts would be enough to say, you know, you guys, by the way, guys, you, you didn't see the alien get killed. Mm -hmm. Like, really? You think that, you know, you do see Jaws get blown up, you know, yeah. with the... So that seems like, what idiots? If they really had that attitude, what mm -hmm. a bunch of idiots. Well, I wonder what the details were. I wonder if they did have an idea like Maybe it egg. was the egg, yeah. Maybe like, maybe that's what the, the missing detail is in that story. That yeah. That they thought, oh, we can leave a little tease to something, or maybe you know the movie's not over, uh, and it wouldn't yeah. it be fun to leave the audience with that feeling? I don't know. We're going to get into this over the next couple of weeks, but um, I like the I like the second ending of this movie. I think it works really well in a lot of ways. It doesn't work really well in other ways, but overall, the experience of it works really well to me. I'm glad it's there. Yeah, and this is Friday. If you guys really just want to stop now and leave this alien feeling like. It's over, and you don't have to go through any of that other stuff. You can stop listening now and just say it has a happy ending, and there was no other problems, and then everything was good, right? It's Everything's everything. She goes goes nah, nighty night with the nah. cat. You're missing out on a big, big moment. Big finish. <laughs> a couple of big finishes, actually. Yeah. So I wonder, even though we're coming to the end of this minute, uh, I would just wondered, Aaron, whether you had anything to say. As I know, we're going to jump ahead a little bit to to what happens next, but. 
Do you have any thoughts about the rest of the picture? Yeah, I mean, you know, I it's it's always kind of interesting to talk about uh, the feminist qualities of science fiction and, you know, the things that science fiction gets to do that other genres don't get to, but also, like, still clinging pretty desperately to that male gaze of of um, science fiction and, you know, the the... Uh, extreme interest in the female form without being all that knowledgeable about <laughs> the functioning of it, which, you know, going back to the beginning of, you know, our, our minutes together talking about birth and that type of thing. It's, it, it's just, it, it's fascinating to me. And I know that there are some people that have this strong aversion to Ripley getting into her underwear um, before she has the, before she gets into the spacesuit, before she has this final uh, blowout with the alien. Um, but I don't know, for me, I, it's, it's always been interesting because, you know, she's in ill-fitting underwear and she's not, it, it, it kind of harks back to this whole picture being not interested about, explaining a whole lot of things you know there's there aren't any moments where the characters are like oh okay well this is this is all the backstory that you need to understand about this world they're not interested in doing that because they're we're watching them in their environment and so she is all alone she's not in on film so her underpants aren't fitting her right and she's not interested in pulling them up um and it just makes her very vulnerable and you know, it feels very final girl. Um, the fact that, you know, she's um, a survivor at this moment, but she also has to have this final showdown with the alien. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, her, like a lot of her final girl qualities of having a deep connection with the alien, those don't really come up until the next films. Um, you know, even a lot in the second film a lot in the third film and uh, totally in alien uh, resurrection that's so is that is that one of the things about the final girl that final girls usually do have some kind of particularly transcendent relationship with yes with the yeah that that's that's a major quality of the final girl and i mean if you you know if you watch scream they love to talk about you know right. the, all all of the rules of of the horror genre especially the slasher genre um but the final girl lives a lot of times because she has a connection with the with the murderer in the forgettable third film but with that iconic moment where the alien gets right up in next to her face and smells the fact that she's got an alien inside her and leaves her alone um you know that gives her a connection to the alien um in aliens she's far more knowledgeable of the aliens than you know the marines and, and but in in uh, halloween She's, she's she's the virgin, right? That's right. that's what sort mm -hmm. of that's what saves her. But then they kind of in but Halloween in Halloween too, right? Then it's revealed that that she was his his sister sister or something. Yeah. But mm. I always wondered whether that was again built in after the fact because yeah. I always that's how I always read Halloween was that she's the only one that wasn't having sex, so somehow she becomes the virginal one with the power to d destroy him, and she penetrates him. She's not punished because she's not a whore, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, so. On the subject of the final girl, and even specifically Halloween, and you mentioned the male gaze, so that's what we're playing with with the final girl trope in a lot of ways with horror movies. We're, we have these films that are uh, driven by a male villain stalking a female character a lot of times, right? 
and made by men and using the male gaze, whether for better or worse, we're attached to this male gaze uh, looking at films. But then there's the subversion of, of the final girl is that while we're watching a movie made by men through the eyes of men with the male gaze, we end up rooting for the woman to beat the man, right? It's sort of, and, and then we take some sort of pleasure, I guess, in the, uh, not sadistic as much as like masochistic kind of pleasure when we're with her. Mm-hmm, um, right. In this case, then, if we're going to apply the final girl theory, if you will, to Alien, what are we saying about the gender or at least the gender representation of the alien itself? Because I think that's an interesting question. We haven't, we've talked about gender and how it's played with in this film, specifically with Ash, maybe more than obviously with Ripley's relationships with the other crew members. But we've mentioned a couple of times, some of the phallic qualities of the design of the alien, but were they speaking directly maybe to something like uh, the alien represents the male gaze? I don't know because the one ripple, I guess in the argument is that that design for the alien that Ridley Scott seized upon had already been invented by H.R. Giger and was in one of the, was in Necronomicon. Um, But I'm sure the phallic aspect of it was what was attractive. I mean, the fact that it it has this, it's so sexualized and it's in such an unpleasant, weird way. And the movie is so much about birth and, and death and impregnation and all that kind of stuff. So when you have this conflict finally between the two of them, She's obviously feminine. She's obviously female. And it's obviously phallic. You know, we've been talking all week about the birth aspect, that that representation. But there's the there's the rape side. You mentioned it earlier. There's the rape side of it as well. And the facehugger, while it's a man that it does it to, facehugger rapes Cain mm-hmm. with a phallus, literal mm-hmm. representation. Then births itself with a phallus. Right. Yeah. And then one could say the key design element of the xenomorph itself is a big phallic head. Right. So I don't think that it's stretching it too far to say that she's being pursued by a giant phallus. You know, in today's terms, she's being pursued by rape culture. She's being pursued by this objectification of women. Well, even the you like take little it that far head, if you wanted to. The yeah. little head when it thrusts oh, out. I mean, totally. that's kind of how how it kills uh people you know and it's and it's horrifying you know you think that oh it's scary enough that this this giant terrifying thing is coming after you with the teeth and the goo and everything but then this mouth comes out this and, tongue with teeth yeah, yeah and and stabs you and right. does all sorts of horrifying things i mean the scene in i you know with um lambert yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Lambert, the tail. the tail. I mean, I don't know. I, we can imagine. We know what happened to Lambert. Um, we watch it in her face in this horrifying way. Um, far more horrifying than I think, like, actually watching watching it. I mean, it's almost like, you know, we've seen enough, but, like, we don't really see their bodies We don't know what afterwards. the tail's doing, We right? don't know what no. the tail did, but, yeah, the tail's very rapey i mean it's you know that they're all parts of this creature that can rape you i mean and it's just that's the nightmare it's it's horribly nightmarish far more than just it kills you you know yeah well i think that a couple of times somebody you mentioned and somebody else has mentioned you know it's going to eat have another meal or whatever and i never ever thought about this creature eating anybody no, no not at all i just thought it was i don't think it oh. feeds on these people i think it just like it, it just kills people and it keeps moving. i think it's an easy if you don't want to think about the movie in the terms that we're speaking about it now it's easier just to think of it as a man-eating alien 
Like that's just kind of the easy movie yeah. trope that you right. go it's to. Just, oh, it's, it's a man eating alien. Yeah. It's killing. Yeah. It's killing eating. That's just what we've always talked about in terms of monsters versus humans. But because it's this thing that I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to the show right now that are, maybe are wishing that we weren't talking about this. But there's this deep, disturbing thing going on in the subtext of this film that I think actually is what fuels the, the, the drives the alien. It's not about eating people. Wait till we get it's to the to... wait till we get to the Deliverance Minute show. That's yeah, going to be well, really uh... great. <laughs> well, I, I did want to say too, Mitch, you, to, to try to speculate on intentionality here a little bit. We do know that Ridley Scott was using Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a somewhat of a template for this film, as far as, as so somewhat of a stalker film. And and, then, and there's no doubt that Deliverance was also in his consciousness. I mean, I cannot for a minute believe that he wasn't just like everybody else in the 70s, oh, very much aware of Deliverance, and especially him. I would argue he probably knew John Borman. I mean, they're yeah. British filmmakers. So I I just think that yeah, I think he had the final girl idea in mind i mean obviously the script had it there but i think it maybe he, if he saw Texas chainsaw massacre and said hmm i want to apply things from that to this yeah and then saw um i mean he's say what you will about some of his film really scott's a brilliant guy i mean i don't think he looked at we know that the moment the aha moment of him deciding to make this movie in a lot of ways was when he saw the giger art where he knew that that one issue he had with making this movie was going to be solved with this design element don't think for a second. You look at the stuff that he saw. I mean, yeah. that's got to be the thing that really stuck out to him. It's like, oh, I can take this concept, apply it to this concept from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, put it in this movie. I, I and create and piece... create something that is really, really special, that is true art horror. Yeah. And, you know, not, not many filmmakers, even today, really, truly want to think about the horror film in terms of true art horror. Right. Think about how many horror movies are out right now and think about how pedestrian mm-hmm. almost all of them are. They don't. They, they don't take into account the gothic quality um, that this this film has. I mean, there 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 are so many gothic moments. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And it's a big scary castle in space, right? Yes, yes. I mean, and it's just and it's truly chilling psychologically. I mean, it gets it, there's something primal about watching Alien that is truly satisfying. Um, because it taps into so many corners of our fears. I mean, you know, John, you were talking about um, the intention of the alien. And I think that that's truly horrifying. If you don't think of it as this thing that needs to eat, then it's just killing. It's got this sociopathic need to kill and it's not doing it because it needs to survive on human flesh and we don't really see empty carcasses of people so we don't get that indication that it is feasting upon these people it's just killing randomly and an even more terrifying notion would be that it's driven by this weird rapey procreation thing mm-hmm. so it's killing in order to procreate which mm-hmm. is even more bizarre yeah the, the sociopathy involved in being a rapist like, it, it, I don't relate to it at all. I don't even want to explore it. But that could be what the, the the truly frightening thing that we're talking about here is that whatever drives a person or a culture to to think that that's something that should be done or could be done or can be excused or all the different ways that, you know, we experience that culture. And, and I can't speak from it. But it's a terrifying notion. When Caitlin Horseman made the observation way, way back early on in the in the series that we can't really imagine what an alien is mm-hmm. all we can do is imagine 
what terrifies us in our reality and apply that to the alien. And that's seems to me clearly what's what's going on with well, this. It may it, it may be driven by the exact same fears, particularly the male rape fears right. that drive deliverance. And the Freudian it, it, castration. Yeah, theory. all that good stuff. I was going to say, you know, you could have made this film talking about rape culture and the male gaze. You could have made this film with an all-female cast. Yeah. And that would have spoken to one group of people that experience this fear. But there is the, as Caitlin mentioned, there is the male rape fear as well. And having the mixed cast and having men actually be raped in this movie as Kane is, that what I'm and saying is it just broadens the audience and, and, and then, then having to give birth, yeah. which is obviously deep, deep psychological stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts uh, about this wonderful <laughs> subject that we've managed to worm our way like into. End on. No, I don't think so. I think um, I, you know, I, I think I actually really do like the final showdown with Ripley and the alien. I think that it's empowering. Um, I, you know, I, I think that we struggle, especially in this country, we struggle with uh, female sexuality and, you know, what, what, what is female sexuality you know it's it's obviously far more complex than the virgin and the whore um and yet uh, movies love to kind of dance along those two extremes um especially you know the slasher film kind of lives in that zone um but you know i i i don't know i i like the fact that she is comfortable enough in her environment now um you know she puts jonesy in his in his little cryopod he gets his own cryopod which i thought that's very sweet um she is because she sleeps with him in the other cryopod doesn't she well um, he gets his own cryopod now yeah, yeah. but after what oh, happens next right. yeah, she's, she's like, like maybe you should just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe I, I need <laughs> my protection once again we're getting ahead of ourselves yes but you, you can you can feel the anticipation for next week's yeah. five minutes you know it's gonna get pretty crazy yeah no it's um yeah but i mean i i i appreciate doing this it was really fun thanks so much for coming in it's been great it's yeah. been a really good we, we got a lot of mileage out of these five minutes i think yeah we did all right well uh come over to alienminute.com check us out there you can uh Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod or on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast. And don't forget to come over to the Facebook page and join the conversation with us there. All right, well, that's going to do it for Minute 105. We'll see you next week for Minute 106.